Malachi the prophet looked forward to the coming of Christ, he wrote in the first three verses of chapter 3 of Malachi, talking about John the Baptist, he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare his way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear in his temple, even the messenger of covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will stand when he appears? Now listen as he speaks. For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. I think about those two kinds of descriptions. Like a refiner's fire, heating it up to where you get the impurities off of it. Like a launderer's soap where you scrub it till all the dirt is gone, he said. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Jesus was going to try to turn people around and to do so it would require sometimes some very forceful presentations. I think as we studied about our lesson last week in the first part of The Gospel of John, John chapter 2, we study about how Jesus turned the water to wine. That event occurred at a stranger's home in Cana. And you think about how Jesus was welcomed there. He was invited to be a part of that wedding feast. But now he is at his father's house. He's at the temple and he's not very welcome. For just a few minutes, I'd like for us to study the last half of John chapter 2 and so If you will, open your Bibles there, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17 about the building of the temple. The Lord is going to address their being there and what it was for. Number two, in verses 18 through 22, he will talk about his own physical body and about what would take place with it. And then finally, in verses 23 through 25, he's going to talk about their belief in him. Let's begin our lesson looking at verses 13 through 17. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep, with the oxen, And the poured out the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold of, Take away these things. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, for just a few minutes, I want you to think about what's going on here. If you're looking at the temple and and put it in your mind and maybe see an illustration there, there is the building of the temple. That's where the priest went and that's where the sacrifices were offered. Around that temple there was a small court called the court of the priest where they carried out their sacrificial offerings and the altar being out front. Outside of that was the court of the Jews in which Jewish men could go. And then in the larger, much, much larger area is what's called the court of the Gentiles. If you go to Jerusalem today, what 
was the Temple Mount is still there. It has a couple of Muslim mosques sitting upon it today. But it is a large area. And it was that area where these animals were being kept and sold. And that's where the money changers were changing money. And I know in a lot of people's minds, you you wonder why in the world were they doing this business in the very temple where God had instructed them to worship and to pray. Well, I'd suggest to you, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, you get an idea of what's taking place. And I'm not going to read all of this, but I, I do want to draw some points out of it and summarize it for you. If you look at verse 22, he talks about the tithe. That was a 10% that every Jewish person had to give to take care of the Levites. And some of the people, when they would work all year, would be living a long way away from Jerusalem. And so God made a provision, according to verse 24, he said, so that you are not able to carry the tithe or the place where the Lord chooses to put his name is too far from you. You see, if you lived in the very northern part of the promised land, or you lived in the very southern part and You'd raise cattle that year, or you'd raise sheep, and you were to take with you maybe 10 cattle and maybe 10 or 15 sheep. God made a provision. It says in verse 25, Then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and there you shall spend the money. In other words, you sell your cattle where you are, you get the money, you go to Jerusalem, and there you buy what you're going to offer to the Lord. He said in verse 27, You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part or inheritance with you. The Levites needed this to be able to survive. That was their payment, if you will, by not receiving a land inheritance. But there's two problems with their business. And the two problems that arise, number one, is the location. It's not around the temple, it's in the temple. It's in the place where God had designated the people to worship. The second problem is to use an old word, lucre. You often hear it in the Bible, filthy lucre, money, which was excessive profit. In fact, if you back up for just a minute and think with me about those two ideas, their business in the temple was preventing some people from being able to use it for that which it was constructed, and that was for the people to pray. The truth is, is that God intended that this building and this complex be designated for people to go there and be able to pray. In Isaiah 56, verse 7 He said, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them a joyful in my house of prayer. Notice, my house of prayer. And then he says, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It wasn't just for the Jews. Yes, it was for the Jews to be able to offer their sacrifices But God wanted that place to be there so anyone from any nation could come and offer prayers to him. And you go to Matthew 21 and verse 13. When Jesus will cleanse the temple the second time near the end of his personal ministry, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer 
but you have made it a den of thieves. He said what it was intended for, you have misused it, which leads me into this idea of what's the problem of having a business and prayer there together. The problem is it's difficult to pray. I don't know how many of you go to a restaurant and if you choose to do so, to have a prayer there at your table, it is difficult when people at the next table are laughing and carrying on their business. It's difficult when you're in a public place and people are speaking and people are talking to be able to focus your mind on speaking to God. In fact, and you go to passages like Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, Jesus said, don't be like those people who go pray on the street corners. He said, what you need to do is you need to go into your inner room. And there he said, you pray to God in secret. In fact, if you look at the prayers of Jesus, most of them were not public prayers. Some were, but as Matthew 14, verse 23 indicates, he went to pray alone. And I can tell you that the most effective prayers can be when a person can take their time to not have anything else distracting them. And you think about trying to go and bow your head as a Gentile while you have got sheep bleeding and cows mooing and people rattling the coins to be able to focus your mind on thanksgiving to God. The second reason is because they had made it a den of thieves. That phraseology comes from the book of Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11. He says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? You think about everybody who's involved in this. What are they doing? A den of thieves, people who are taking advantage. Now many of you know that if you go to a certain place that sometimes the cost for things goes up dramatically. You go to an airport and you order a soft drink. No longer are you going to spend 50 cents or so. You may spend $5 for a drink you realize that when you go to certain places, and these were taking advantage of them, they were doing this, and what it did, it prevented the place from being used for that which it was intended, and that was to worship God. What a wonderful building this was, but how sad it was being misused. What that did was promote in Jesus an anger, a zeal, if you will, the zeal for God's house had eaten him up. When he came to God's house, he wanted it to be a place devoted to the Lord. And that wasn't what he found. In Psalm 69 and verse 9, we read, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who've reproached you have fallen on me. I would to God that every time you and I come together and assemble together in God's house, and I'm not talking about this building, we assemble together as the church of the Lord. Our minds are not focused on the ball games. Our minds are not focused on the food. Our minds are not focused on our business, but our minds are focused on giving God glory and giving Him praise and giving Him devotion 
And if we've allowed other things to distract us, then we are in the same position as these people whom Jesus drove out with a whip of cords. It's going to lead me to the second aspect, and that is his body. If you'll turn with me now, and let's look at verses 18 through 22. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had said. Now, Jesus is now being challenged for authority. Who gave you the right to run all of these sellers of animals and all these changes of money out of the temple. Now you have to understand why they're challenging Jesus. History records that the chief priest had permitted these people to set up their shop inside the temple walls and they got a cut out of it. You can start imagining why they were permitting this. So when Jesus starts driving them out and sending them out of the temple and turning over the table, the money changers, they're like, you're messing with our business. Who gives you the right? Now, obviously, they know at this point that Jesus is exhibiting some authority. And they're questioning for his power, his ability. They wanted a sign. They wanted a divine demonstration. It's significant that the Lord doesn't give them one here. He makes reference to one that he will show, and it will be the fact that he will take his body back and raise it up in three days. Now, there's a play on words here, and that is the body as a temple. And you and I recognize that very plainly in the New Testament because we read about not only the the body of Jesus being like a temple, but we read about our own bodies being a temple, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6. And you and I read, for instance, about the church being a temple and us being spiritual stones in that house. So we've got the idea in our minds, but... Jesus is using a figure of speech here. And when he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days, that's something they just had difficulty with. But there's a double, double meaning here, if you will. The destruction of the body and his resurrection is one. In fact, I suggest to you that this is something that they kept in mind throughout the rest of the Lord's personal ministry. He stated it here at the very beginning of his personal ministry, but they're going to even remember that on the cross. Remember Matthew 27, 40? As they mocked him, they said, 
You who destroy the temple and build it three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. They obviously knew that he was claiming to be the Son of God, and they remembered his statement. In Acts 6 and verse 4, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses has delivered to us. Jesus was talking about the destruction of his physical body. But the double double meaning was that the physical temple itself would be destroyed. And I'm not going to go into great detail about that because, Lord willing, tonight in our evening lesson we will address the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place in AD 70 as recorded in Matthew 24, 1 through 3. Now, if you will, let's look at that last section, and that is of the belief. Verses 23 through 25. Now, when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. The disciples remembered and believed Jesus. In fact, I want you to dovetail with me the last section in this section. The last verse 22 said, They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. They believed when they had heard what Jesus had told them and they saw the things come true and they knew that he was the Son of God. I want you to observe that there's a lot of people now who are observing Jesus, what he is teaching, what he is doing, and their faith is in him. Others had saw the signs which Jesus did and believed. In fact, to an honest mind, there's more than ample evidence here to believe. If you remember John, as he concludes this great book, he says in chapter 20 in verses 30 and 31, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What's written here includes the signs which he performed, the miracles, the teachings, the actions of our Lord, enough to believe. What I find real interesting is what's in verses 23 through 25 is another play on words It's not as evident in our English language as it is in the original language. In the original language, it's extremely evident. jumps out at you on the page, and I want to draw attention to that. Verse 23, it says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. The word believe is your normal word to trust somebody. To trust them that what they're saying is true and it can be depended upon. Verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself. That's that same word that's translated believed. He didn't trust himself to them. 
And the reason being is because Jesus knew all men. Jesus is somebody they could put their trust in and he would not disappoint them. Jesus would be everything that he ought to be. But he couldn't put his trust in man. Jesus couldn't entrust himself to them because he knew man. In fact, what he knows is that man is fickle. Men can say they believe in the Lord at one point and then in the very next point deny him. You say, oh, that can't be. Do you remember the night in which the Lord was betrayed? How in that upper room as he met with his apostles and he told them that they were going to betray him. Do you remember what happened? Oh no, we won't betray you. Peter stands out among them and saying, Lord, I'll never betray you. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. Now the Lord says, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. Or you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Peter, you're not going to be faithful. I tell you what's always amazed me. If you study the last week of the life of Christ, do you know what happened on the Sunday before he was crucified on Friday? It's referred to as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. How that is Jesus was entering into the city, as he came across the Mount of Olives, they were placing before him palm branches, and they were crying out, Hosanna, greatest in the highest. The king is coming to Jerusalem. And then that very Saturday or Friday, they were crucifying him on that cross. Jesus didn't entrust himself to man, for he himself knew what was in man. So sad today that so many people are just as fickle today They change so quickly. The question is, can the Lord put his trust in you? Now, as I try to summarize all this and bring it all together, early on, Jesus challenged the status quo in religion. You and I can be like those people were in the very first century. We get in a custom, we get in a habit And our devotion to the Lord is just simply going through some motions. And the Lord looked at people and says, you are not focused on worship. You're focused on the money you're making out of. You're focused on your own personal desires. Jesus taught religious devotion was about worship and praise toward God and not profit toward man. When Jesus cleansed the temple... He wasn't just getting rid of the dirt. He was getting rid of the sin. And he was changing men's hearts. He was challenging the status quo. But those willing to believe in him would be blessed. And this morning, that's what we want to call upon everyone to do. Is that as you study and you read and you learn about Jesus, you have a greater appreciation for him. And you recognize that his challenge, if you will, to us 
is to focus on God, praise Him, adore Him, rather than focus upon ourselves. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you've not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord extends to you an invitation to come to Him. To do so, you come believing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 8, verse 24. He also encourages you and, in fact, demands of you that you repent of the sins that you have committed. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. To confess Him before men that you believe that He is the Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. And then to be baptized, that is to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 and Mark 16 and verse 16. If you've not yet done that and you wish to be a servant of God, to be a child of God, if you'll come forward this morning, we will assist you in being baptized. It's very possible that you and I can be like some of those Jews, though, and We've looked in our lives and we now recognize we're not doing what God wants us to do. We've been focused on the wrong things and it's time to make a change. We can pray with you. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.